Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van Nieker. My guest today is Mark Dunley Owen. He's a fund manager at Alan Gray. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. We've seen a dreadful first quarter, especially in equity markets. How did your funds hold up? Thanks, Raik. Thanks for the opportunity. As you say, it has been a, a difficult quarter. And in terms of Alan Gray, we haven't been spared. So our two biggest funds, which are our balanced fund and our stable fund, both had difficult quarters, both down sort of high single digit or low double digit returns on a one year basis. And that has, has been driven, the, the hardest part about the quarter was that all South African asset prices fell. So often you would have, for example, equities doing poorly and bonds doing okay. But definitely in March, the way most people described is that correlations went to one. So everything fell at the same time, which meant if you had equity exposure, you got hurt. If you had bond exposure, you got hurt. And even if you had global exposure, you also got hurt because global markets were also down. So it's been a difficult time for multi-asset funds, but we hope the worst is behind us. I see that in the stable fund, the performance between 20 January to 23 March 2020 was the biggest drawdown the fund has ever seen. And that was close to 17%. How did that compare to other funds you guys manage? It really comes down to how much equity exposure you had and your duration on your fixed interest. So stable, as the name suggests, has lower equity than our balanced fund. And obviously the balance has lower equity than the equity fund. So the stable would have done better than those funds. But the performance in stable was particularly disappointing because if you're a equity fund client or balanced fund client, you expect some volatility. In the stable fund, you expect much less volatility. And, and part of our objective is to not have a negative return over any two-year period. And the fund, that has been true since the fund started, which started in July 2000. So that has been true since 2000, except for now. So this is the first time ever the, that the stable fund has had a negative performance over two years. And that's obviously very disappointing. And it's disappointing for us and it's disappointing more importantly for our clients who want more stable returns. And if you're in a stable fund which has quite a lot of bond exposure and cash exposure, but also equity exposure, when everything falls, it's hard for the fund to do well. What is the international exposure of the fund? It's about 30%. It crept up as the RAND weakened, but we have actually brought some, some money back to keep it around 30%. And that is invested in, similar to the, the South African exposure, it's, it's invested across global equities, global bonds, and some global cash. But unfortunately for us, so not only did South African assets do poorly, but the foreign portion of the fund, which is managed by Orbis, which is our sister company, also did poorly. So both Orbis and Alan Gray had a difficult quarter. And you put all these effects together and you get the, the performance set that you've already talked about. During a period like this, I must assume it causes fund managers a lot of stress. Did you change anything during the past quarter to try and preserve some capital? It definitely is stressful, but at the same time, it's, it's exciting that it definitely gives us more opportunities going forward. In terms of how we were positioned, so the hard thing was a few months ago, really for the last few years, the hard thing's been that South African assets have done poorly. So in our minds, South African assets have been cheap for a long time. And that's both South African shares and bonds. Global assets were different. So global assets have done really well and 
we were quite cautious on global equities in particular, but locally we saw value. As it turned out, the prices of these assets have fallen even further. So we thought they were cheap two months ago, but they're obviously cheaper now. So in terms of asset allocation, we haven't changed a whole lot on the asset allocation size side. And in terms of value, we still think most of the investments in the fund, the values we had before are similar to the values we have today. The biggest thing that has changed is the prices. So that is obviously painful in the short term. It leads to the performance numbers we are seeing, but it's also positive in the long term in that the gap between value and price today is extreme. So we think most of the fund's holdings are undervalued, and therefore, if we are right, we think future returns are a lot more attractive today than they have been for much of the last 20 years. So we do think this is a, it's a difficult time today, but for longer term investors, we think it, it is a good opportunity for future returns. And of course, we've seen a significant spike since the last week of March until today. And many people may have exited not only this fund, but many other equity funds. And that shows you that you don't try and time the market. If you ride out volatility, you may be surprised even sometimes on the upside. I think that that's very true. I mean, unfortunately, human nature is to reduce risk when uncertainty increases. And the problem with that is that markets tend to be one step ahead of you. So by the time the uncertainty is there, markets have already fallen. So we have seen recently, we've seen some client flows from funds with equity exposure, whether that be the equity fund or the balance fund or the stable fund, we've seen flows out of those funds into lower risk alternatives, which are a money market type fund or a fixed interest fund. And while we totally understand that, historically, this has been the worst time to do that. So you don't want to move down the risk spectrum after prices have fallen. Now, that doesn't mean prices may fall some more, in which case it'll be the right decision. But historically, these sort of time periods where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's been a major correction, and there's a lot of fear in the markets, these have been better times to stay invested in, in assets with higher risk than to move into the lower risk categories. You have a significant exposure to bonds as well, around 35% of the portfolio. Of course, we are seeing a significant decline in interest rates. How do you view the, the money market side of the portfolio and the prospects of it? What's interesting about South African fixed interest today is that it's really split into two categories. So you have the cash type instruments, which let's call it the money market side of the equation. And that has, it's been a very good place to be for the last few years. It's given you about 7 to 8% returns. And you compare that to inflation of four. So really, you've taken almost no risk, and you've got a return which is 3 to 4% better than inflation. So it has been a good place to have your money. Unfortunately, the Reserve Bank has cut interest rates now by 200 basis points over the last month. So the returns you're going to get from these cash type investments, such as money market funds, are going to drop. So if they were 7.5% at the beginning of the year, we think they are now, you should expect 5.5%. And there's a chance that the Reserve Bank drops rates more, in which case the money market returns will, will fall as well. So while it's been a great place to be over the last few years, we see less value in staying in cash today. You compare that to bonds. So bonds are often put into the same bucket, but they are still fixed interest, but they just they have they, they longer maturity instruments and those have sold off aggressively. So that the yield on the all bond index was the average yield was 9% at the beginning of the year. It fell to 11%, which is a big move for bonds too. So to fall 200 basis points in a few weeks is, is a really big and quick move. It's recovered a bit, so now it's at 10%. But if you think about that, you can get 10% holding government bonds today with relatively low credit risk because 
the South African government can print RAND. So they, relative to all the other credits in the country, they are, are low credit risk, which 10% is a good return. So I think we see some value in bonds, definitely more so than we have for a long time, and we see limited value in holding cash. Let's talk about equities again. I'm looking at the, the main holdings of the stable fund. NASPERS is at the top. It represents 3.6% of the portfolio. And I see it also includes the process stake. Then second, British American Tobacco, 3.2%, uh, Glencore. That seems to be low percentages of your top holdings. How many shares are in this portfolio? Just remember that 3.5% is of funds. In terms of asset allocation, there's only about 20% of the fund allocated to South African equities. So NASPAS is a big proportion of that 20%. It's 3.6 of the 20 so it is, it is quite a big portion of the shares, but because it is a low equity fund, if you look at its potential fund, it will look like a, a low percentage. So although it's a small potential fund, it, it actually is quite a high percentage of the share exposure. And in terms of the total number of shares, I'm not sure exactly, but it's, it's probably in the region of probably 40 to 50, but by far most exposure is in top 20. You said earlier that there are a lot of value in the local market. Where do you actually see the, the value? Which sectors and maybe which counters are you looking at? The top three shares are NASPES, BAT and Glencore, as you said. So it's interesting, those are not South African shares, right? So mm. NASPES is mainly Tencent and BAT is global and Glencore is obviously global as well. But all of them, we think, offer value. So there are, what's nice about South Africa is there's, there's both some shares that happen to be listed here, like NASPES and like BAT, which we think are cheap. And not only do we think they're cheap, but, but our, our sister company, Orbis, which has the whole world to choose from, they also think they're cheap. So they're also buying NASPERS and BAT. So it does suggest that within the global context, there are some shares that are global companies, happen to be listed on the JSC, and they do appear cheap. So we like those, those type of shares. But if you look at the pure SA companies, there's value across the spectrum now. It just really depends how much risk you want to take. So the riskier companies which have some debt and which are purely exposed to South Africa, for example, the industrial companies, those have sold off aggressively and they're down 60, 70, 80%. And if you believe things normalize, there's a lot of upside to those, but obviously they they have gearing and they are riskier, so they have downside as well. The shares we have been buying is, are recently are, are the banks because the banks have also sold off aggressively. And a company like Nedbank or ABSA trades at less than five times PE, and then Standard Bank is low single digits as well and, and first rands. But these are companies that have been around for a long time, and they are, on most metrics, South African banks are as cheap as they've ever been. And we know things are going to be tough, and we know there are going to be a lot of bad debts coming out of the lockdown and maybe beyond that. But we don't think that the banks. We think the capital positions are very strong, so we don't think there's a, a solvency or liquidity risk to the banks. And if you have a longer time horizon, we think this is a unique opportunity to buy some, some well-run, large African companies at historical lows. I think that has been the view of many asset managers. But it, it's a strange situation where we are going to see significant economic pain in the short term, not only in South Africa, but also around the world. The whole world will probably go into a recession. But investing in such a climate must be pretty difficult because value does not put money in your pocket. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? 
It is very difficult. So let's let's be upfront about it. No one knows what's going to happen, and there are a lot of opinions out there. And I think what's particularly difficult about today is that there's very few precedents of a pandemic. So most of us haven't lived through a pandemic, and that makes it very hard to have a rational view of the future. So there's there's a lot of scenarios that could happen, and they differ vastly. And it's very hard to know which of those scenarios are right. So as an investor, that makes life difficult. And, and what you try and do is you're trying to find investments that are either going to be fine in all scenarios. So I'll put Nuspas into that category. Nuspas is a well, Tencent, which is the main holding. Tencent is a very well-run company. It's dominant in its space. It's obviously getting stronger as more people go online. It's got net cash on its balance sheet. So that sort of company we think is going to be fine in most scenarios and it's reasonably priced today and you can get it cheaply via Nuspers because Nuspers trades at a big discount to Tencent. So that is the first type of investment and we think no matter what happens you're going to do okay to well holding that sort of investment. Another investment is let's call it South African banks which are have fallen a lot and they appear to be very cheap but there are scenarios where things get worse right. There are scenarios where, where bad debts spike to multiple levels of the, of the financial crisis interest rates are dropped even further, a lot of people can't pay or won't pay their, their debt back and in that scenario one could see more pressure on the banks. Our view is that you've got to look at the price you're paying and the price you're paying for South African banks today discounts almost all the probable scenarios. So it doesn't discount every scenario but in the vast majority of scenarios it's going to be very tough in the short term and bank Price, the share prices could go lower, but if you can, if you have a longer time horizon, in most scenarios, you should do well holding the banks from current levels. Mm. So if, we, if you can try to find a combination of safe companies and companies that are already pricing in many futures, I think you should do relatively well. Mark, I'm looking at the fee structure of the stable fund, and it shows a negative performance fee. I've never seen a negative performance fee. Can you take us through that whole structure? Our view is that performance fees are very important because they align us, being Alan Gray, with the client. When the fund and therefore the client does well, we at Alan Gray also do well. So the way the, the fee works for, for the stable fund is that we charge a 1%, let's call it a base fee, and then we add or subtract from that depending on performance. So we share in 10% of outperformance but we also share in 10% of underperformance and what's happened over the last last period is that because the fund is underperformed we have the performance fees been a negative number so you take away the 40 odd basis points from the 1% base fee and you get to the, the net fee structure of the fund. So it's just a way to, once again, to align our performance with the client's performance. But this is not an industry standard is it? Most funds would have a just a plain fixed fee so they would get let's say one percent or 70 basis points irrespective of performance which which there's actually been a strong push to move towards fixed fees over the last few years and we have resisted that our view has always been that we need to be aligned to the clients and I think times like this shows that it is the right strategy but as you say most funds will have a, a more vanilla type structure. Thank you Mark that was Mark Dunley-Owen he's a fund manager at Alan Gray.